It's it's always glad to be back. Always glad to talk about video games. My passion, as you will. But I am here to introduce a very special guest. Uh, he is a creator of American Vulgaria, which just had its first issue be released. Um, I'm super excited for him to be on. Ryan Simon, how are you doing today? Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm amped to be here. As, is it Simon or is it because you have the little accent over your? Do you have the? It's Simone. Okay. Uh, which I didn't learn about midway through my life. Uh, <laughs> my mom clarified that she thought it, I'd get bullied if people thought it was like Simon or, or Simone, being in like Montana. Yeah, she, uh, would, she was afraid of her her young son being bullied for being hid my heritage French. from me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, Simone. I, I'm so glad you're here today. You're actually the first guest who actually uh, requested to be on. Uh, I was, yeah, I'm so <laughs> I, excited. I I I love that DM you sent me, and it was just uh, the the main character of Deus Ex, JC JC Denton. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. like you're just like fella. I want to be on your gaming podcast, yeah. and it's just his his like just flat face, just staring directly at the camera. I was like, okay, well. If, he, if this is how he starts off, then he's um, he has to be on. I tried to find the most like retarded JC Denton <laughs> picture I could get. <laughs> I, whenever I think of JC Denton and Deus Ex, I always just think of his like lip smack that he like. <laughs> was, yeah, yeah. Like he's like, sorry to be sorry, sorry to hear that. That kind of sucks. Like the oh uh, man, Dan. I, you know, that's actually a thing. I've never played that, but I know all, I know the sort of culture around it. There's so it's, it's such a meme machine of a game. And because of JC, because JC, the, yeah, the lip smack line, um, <laughs> JC, a bomb. <laughs> uh, it's, it's that monotone delivery that he has where it's, it fits the character, but it's so unlike anything you've ever heard, especially in today's standards where it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so, it's so earnest. And it's, all I know is that it's a fantastic game and that every other Deus Ex gets compared to it. And everyone says that it doesn't live, live up to the original. Yeah. But I, I really want to play it one day. You should, I mean, uh, the voice lines, it's almost like the voice actor was just given a script mm-hmm. and knew nothing about it. And then they just kind of like map together the game afterwards. <laughs> they, just, they just like splice together his different takes, be like, all right, it's yeah. two different tones are matching or not matching each other. So I I could imagine that because that game was what, 1999, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. that was... That was still in the day day and age of Resident Evil, Jill sandwiches, and Master of Unlocking voice lines. So I, <laughs> that's I, right. <laughs> I wouldn't put I wouldn't put it past uh, Warren Spector and crew for uh, doing that. Uh-huh. But 
enough of JC Denton. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about American Bulgaria, which uh, Sweet. I have my copy here, which is lovingly autographed. Uh, Dude, yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for buying. No, not, a, no, no problem. Uh, I want to, before talking about it, you have amazing handwriting. I love your signature. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but can you, I've been accused of girl having girls handwriting oh, my entire you... life. See, I've always had that sort of, I guess it's a struggle. Like, because if you write too pretty, you're always perceived as the gay one, which I mean, unfortunately, okay. and unfortunately <laughs> for me that, uh, you know, happened, but uh, I, I, I always appreciate when someone has like very, like just really nice penmanship, even down to <laughs> signatures. Like I have for mine is just like a big S and then squiggles. Like <laughs> I'm just like, I can't be bothered. I mean, but yeah. I, I don't like the ones where it's just like literally like just a squiggle line. I'm like, I hate that. But yeah, yeah. Uh, enough of that. I uh, I want to ask you where the sort of inspiration for American Bulgaria came from, because this is this whole magazine is stunning. You have a lot of beautiful photos in here. You have a lot of great pieces from people in the circle like Adam Lair. You have Matteo. You have Jack in here. I mean you really cover a large group of people and you have such a really powerful aesthetic eye right from the get-go that I kind of just am like in awe like as I'm just like flipping through the books there's just I I mean I I don't have a whole lot of experience with this sort of stuff but I'm kind of just like in awe every page you have something (laughs) new or interesting that just catches my eye like so I just want to hear where where it comes from that's so nice to hear um i mean i've never i've never done anything like this i kind of learned how to do this as i was making this issue and like i i mean american bulgaria like i got the llc as far back as 2017 oh really um yeah i mean i didn't know what i was going to do with it i uh i graduated college in 14 with an english degree um Mm -hmm. i wanted to be a writer Da da da, but then <laughs> the whole Trump moment just kind of. I already, I mean, I never, I never was like a fan of the libs or whatever in in mm-hmm. the media or whatnot. But the idea of trying to like make it as a writer in this current media climate just sounded like a nightmare. Like the the best case scenario would just sound like you'd have to sell your soul and just yeah. whatever. So you have to hit like the mandated bullet points. Oh sort god. Of thing. And it's just all just so ugly too. It's just uh, I don't know. Yeah. Something about having creative control in the in the the age of the internet, it just seems kind of ridiculous to write for another publication mm-hmm. um, when you could just start your own. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. So I mean, I started it then, not knowing exactly what I was going to do with it. Uh, we had the whole Trump moment, which was exciting, and then locally in Missoula. Um, there was some fuckery going on with like our local newspaper and we had a magazine or a newspaper called the independent, which I never mm-hmm. really liked, but it, but it was like, it was local. It was, it was independently run and it represented the community. Mm-hmm. Um, granted it was pretty libtarded itself, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, you can't avoid it with a lot of these presses. That's just how it is. Um, even, even for good old Montana, I guess. Oh God. Well, Missoula, um, I mean, birthplace of Lynch, which is cool, but otherwise it's like, it's kind of like Austin, Texas, but for Montana. 
Yeah, I, that's, I whenever I think of Montana, I get like Twin Peaks adjacent. Like it's <laughs> it's not it's like it's not fully that is albeit isn't twin peaks is filmed in montana or parts of it right i think well i think where is that film is in washington it's supposed to be in washington there might be i don't know anything about that i I just know that uh is it laura's cousin who's like yeah laura's cousin is from uh, montana she might be from missoula i can't remember yeah missoula and i think too in blue velvet i think uh the apartment complex where all the like the rape stuff goes down I, I could be wrong, but I feel like it's modeled after uh, the Wilma building in Missoula, which is like our, it's just a cool iconic building that yeah. I, I think Lynch may have lived there for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, it, it's cool seeing Missoula pop up Yeah, no, in his filmography. It's, it's rare to see Montana kind of represented elsewhere. Like all, I, that's really all I know, which was, I didn't know you were from Montana. So it was like a, <laughs> that was like a pleasant surprise. Be like, oh, yeah. oh, this is shipping from Montana. Like, yeah, yeah, Lolo. Uh, yeah, I mean, we got river runs through it too, um, mm-hmm. which is cool. <laughs> but uh, but the Independent though, it, the newspaper was like bought out by a larger media company, and then like mm-hmm. a, a year later, shut down in 2017. And so, like, just that happening, the, the whole, like, local scandal of that, the, the broader scandal of, like, fake news and, and yada, yada, um, I just was like, all right, I'm going to make my own thing here. <laughs> and the word, like, vulgar, like, vulgarian and stuff was, like, leverage against Trump and, you know, the whole pussy hat thing. <laughs> it, like, we're just it, just thrown into this, like, South Park episode of just just vulgarity or whatever. So it just it seemed of the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but really the years following is just a lot of floundering online, trying to find a community. You know, I, I entertained the whole IDW thing, um, mm-hmm. Quillette and all that. And, and initially like Claire Lemon was someone who the founder of Quillette, like she's someone who just started this pretty successful online, whatever, uh, website, um, from her living room. So I, I took inspiration from that. I'm like, that's, that's dope that someone's doing it. Yeah. So I, I kind of followed them, but they, you know, especially throughout COVID, they kind of revealed their hand that they're kind of their own kind of libtard. Yeah, um, the, the shadowy figures come out. Yeah. I also, I'll stand by Jordan Peterson. <laughs> uh, <laughs> other than that, they're all pretty lame. Yeah. Um, really. It wasn't until red scare and then perfume nationalists which I think is pretty common for about everyone in the circle that I, I found something that mm-hmm. like, Oh dude, we, we can just do this, you know, and, yeah. and speak this way. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot of just years of, of kind of floundering and, and trying to figure out how to work this in a digital space until this last year when I interviewed Lair for his book communions, I interviewed Lair and then Aaron Fagan, the poet, and I just loved the interview so much. It, it was the best thing I put on the website. But then I, I was frustrated with the website itself. It's like, it's just so mm-hmm. limited design wise. Like I, I'd rather do something in print because you can, you know, th- there's yeah. so much more you could do with that. And then, you, and then you have an actual physical object, you know? Yeah. It's sort of like a touching grass moment where <laughs> I, I want to create something real and to have something that people can like own like i want people to own this and, and it's theirs you know yeah uh, 
that's like the one thing I love. I, I, I think that's something that everyone in this circle can relate to is the sort of power that a physical object has over a website or, you know, something on Twitter per se is that if you own something, it like can stand out on a shelf where you can have it on a table. And, you know, I look at the cover of this and it's just striking in the all red font with, you know, and then you, you know, peer inside and it's just, I, I can't really say anything else other than it's just like, this is, this is my aesthetic sort of thing. Like I, oh, yeah. there's, there's so many wonderful touches you do, you know, I look at like the Jack's interview, for example, it's just like, it's like the greatest hits of any sort of aesthetic <laughs> aesthetic that, you know, surrounds him, Sweet. you know, down, down from, you know, the, the perfume bottles, the advertisements, or even just like, you know, those little pencil type drawings of like glasses of alcohol. Like mm-hmm. I, I love all these like little details, like even down to just the font you use, like the, I, I love how you put like the waiter exits and it's just in red. Like <laughs> I, I, I really do admire like all these little things about it. Like oh, man. there's it, I can, I can't imagine how long this probably took you. Like, <laughs> like it took forever because um, again, I've, I've, I've never done anything like this. Um, and it was born from just kind of a, just general frustration with just how ugly everything is getting. Um, yeah, a lot of people now are kind of doing their own sort of indie publication of, of whatever, mm-hmm. um, whether it's like a, books of poetry or what, and they're just so bare bone. Almost like to me, I, I don't what people doing their own thing, fine, I, I, I support it. Um, but there's just such low effort that it it's almost offensive to me to expect people to pay for something and it's just words on a page and yeah, nothing it, else yeah that it doesn't like uh, my closest comparison point would be like any magazine you would see like you know at like any store you would go to and it has like sort of that similar i mean granted it's a little different because like magazines you see at the store are more or less you know trying to sell things so to say i guess but like yeah like the big like the big thing that stood out to me with your magazine compared to like just the aesthetic at large is like how sharp like every, every it stands in contrast from the curves we see everywhere like mm. I, I i have a friend of mine who works in like ui design for games and he's telling me like i remember like how like when twitter went from i think it was like the square profile picture to the circle and he's like yeah 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 they do that because it can't be it can't it has to be friendly oh, and, squ- and, and squares are gonna put potentially be scary i'm like what is going on dude it's fucking just baby <laughs> everyone <laughs> yeah it's for babies like um I, I just, we'll definitely just... get into that with like the spiral remaster <laughs> shit it's just it's, it's fisher price fucking pacifier goo goo gaga bullshit <laughs> i hate it so much <laughs> i trust i'm i'm in that boat with you too but it's Ugh. like i i remember you know be, back on you know back in the old days of the internet it's like <laughs> I remember how like Newgrounds specifically, and I think still to this day, like Newgrounds really hasn't adopted the sort of trends of today, but like Newgrounds has the all black uh, website with like, 
you know, the yellow text and just like the walls of people replying and calling you the worst things you could ever <laughs> say. On the, like people just saying, yeah, I love your animation gives it a zero star review. It's like, like I, I miss, I miss like the day of like specialized websites being yes. for a specific thing. Like I've mentioned it before on the show. It's like game, game trailers.com was sort of the ground zero of where my, my uh obsession comes from mm. it's like you had all these different things just for games you had you had the previews the reviews they had the screw attacks uh segment uh, section of the website mm. uh with handsome handsome tom and stuttering craig like okay i i i missed that i missed the days when like the web the internet of itself was it was it, it was both like a combination of like scary kind of, but like it was just, it was like a hobby or like something like that. It wasn't so like, you know, when you boot it up, it's like this thing is supposed to be your friend. It's like, no, I no, it's oh. this barbed jungle of, uh, yeah. Mean comments, <laughs> uh, and harsh pixelated in a, mac- I- <laughs> macro blocks everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like the MySpace days, uh that everyone is nostalgic for now is it was it was all like kind of handmade everyone's customizing their page and stuff and and i don't know there is just a much more jagged and interesting aesthetically interesting interface mm-hmm. um yeah then the this smoothening process with, yeah uh, the, the face yeah. tune the face tuning of the internet i, I yes guess. like yeah i I can't speak enough just like how cool this magazine you have here is like I I've spoken about it before but it's just like you know I love Matteo's segment you know his whole thing where it's his <laughs> it's his photography and I, I love his photography by the way shout out to him he's so great like I I love how your whole project it it's not like obviously it has like an aesthetic core to it you know it mm-hmm. but it's like you have like a like a tree branch of different sort of different aesthetics inside of it that come together to create a thing like the with Matteo segment like with that solid red page mm. with just saying like or uh it's after the one of his nude uh his, his big old pecker <laughs> Uh, which, by the way, glittering image. Let's just say that. Yeah, but dude, he's I, he's my Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> I'm building my empire on on Matteo. He's not blonde. He's br- he's your, he's <laughs> yeah. Netflix's brunette starring Matteo. Yeah, but I just love how like you end after that picture. It's just it reminds it reminds me of the Gucci Rush bottle, like just that mm. solid block of red. Yeah, like I. <laughs> the, I That's so I, nice to hear. I. I can't go in enough like how cool this whole is like I love uh how Adam's interview like obviously has his Twitter the system of systems Twitter mm-hmm. profile picture included but I like how his aesthetic you're able to capture within it and it feels like cohesive to you as a mm-hmm. you know as a creator too and I I <laughs> I'm at this point, I'm just like a fanboy in a sense. Dude, that, oh my God. It's so not, everything you're saying is perfect. I mean, uh, when I was getting into this, I was playing uh, Mario 64 
uh-huh. for the first time on the Switch. I mean, I, I, I everyone's played it, but I was playing it properly, like beginning to end, which I've never done. Uh-huh. And the whole idea of like jumping into a painting and you're in this whole different world with its own mm. aesthetic, but it's all still unified within the Mario 64. Uh, you, is, you know, the glue. The, it's yeah, like uh, Mario 64 is so it's it's hard not to say like something that has someone hasn't already said about that game because it is so influential but i don't think enough people give it credit for its sort of aesthetics because Mm -hmm. it does on paper look very generic or i guess simple like you know because it's an early it's an it's a launch n64 game like what you can't really they were just i mean they're hell they're figuring out 3d at that time like it was so you couldn't really go beyond simple spheres and pyramids and cubes, but like you, you, it has such a great framing device of a castle, but like you can go to a battlefield, you can go to a, a desert or a, yes. a mountain peak. And it, it feels, it doesn't feel like it's losing sight of itself. It feels all connected in sort of inside that castle, which I yeah. love, I love that that's your sort of, that's kind of like the like inspiration, so to say, of, of the magazine. Exactly. That was the design philosophy here. That and then um, getting into all the agitator guy. I mean, the the Broken River books, uh, uh-huh. they have just great aesthetics. You know, they, they have fun with their design in a way that um, there's a playful edge to all of it mm-hmm. that, that I also want to deploy in this. Um, like one yeah. of the first things I did following suit of Kelby's... Uh, Oh god, his his newest one, um, where he has those those intercut pictures. Oh yeah, those those are so cool. <laughs> They're so cool, and I was just sitting there admiring. Like it's like you know chalk on the sidewalk, letting out the devils. That book. Yeah. Um, I think I said I I, I forgot who designed it, but he said that uh on Twitter a while ago that his commission was um Godard's like intercuts mixed mm-hmm. with uh like Grand Theft Auto. Aesthetics. Yeah, that's I was kind dope. of pissed. I didn't think of it first. <laughs> that's perfect. But but that I mean, like with with that Aaron Fagan's um poems, the the titles. I looking at his book, I just grabbed some chalk and uh wrote the titles. Uh, like that, that's the first thing I did with this magazine, and then scanned it in and thought, see, you know, see how that would look in print, and just kind of make this more of just handiwork and having fun, you know, yeah. on some level. Um, and trying to uh it, yeah again this out like mario 64 like i want each each interview or each each piece to be its own set of ideas um and then as it all came together i kind of saw my own sort of like unified vision that i didn't really know was there or not you know yeah um it this being my first project too it took so long because i just i had no fucking idea and it, there was plenty of moments of just pacing around the neighborhood with just <laughs> uh, self-doubt and anger. It's like, I don't know what the fuck, you know, but as soon as it, as soon as I hit publish and, and saw it printed and looked at it, I was like, Oh, okay. This, this works. Yeah, no, I, I totally feel you with that, with this show. It's like when I was, I, I had the idea for the show. Uh, it it kind of stems from, a discord call I had with uh, a good friend of mine from Twitter. And we talked for, I think at bare minimum two hours, just about silent Hill two. And I was like, 
this could be something but then it's just like <laughs> it's that you you stew on the idea for so long that it becomes like it kind of consumes your mind it's like okay well if i do that like what what else like will this work will people get it like and i realize it's like you just have to like put, you can't you can't live in that sort of world you have to just get it out there and the the right people who the right people will find it sort of yeah. say yeah like i i knew I knew with this show if like like the the thumbnail for it is a screenshot from the Ridge Racer 5 intro because <laughs> like and I just I I went into the photos app and I just like turned up the brightness and saturation a little bit and I was like all right this is this is what I wanted to be you know I thought she's a pretty girl and she kind of embodies PS2 and I was like that that's a you know oh yeah but then it's like it's like oh what's the right music all, all the sort of <laughs> like all this like little stuff that like only happens at the start and you're just like kind of like making yourself go crazy by it and then once you finally just get it out there like it it's like the greatest sigh of relief absolutely once it's out you know all that whatever self-doubt and shit it, it i don't know you, you see it and it takes on its own life and just yeah you're able to see what it is and like let it's like letting your kid go off to college it's right like, yeah it's like oh wow you know american bulgaria is learning so many great things <laughs> in school. Yeah. that's right As i but i really can't say enough about this this is such a cool project i i honestly can't wait for issue two uh um. i will I will wait. I will. I will wait here. I will sit my ass down and, and wait. <laughs> Let's go. Um, but, Thank you so much. Oh no, please. I I'm glad that this is a thing. I'm glad you're here, and I think this is a perfect way to segue because you were talking about Mario 64. Well, yeah. te technically not part of the discussion. It is in that era that we're talking about. We're talking about Spyro the Dragon tonight, but what? We're saving that for a little later, but I wanted to talk about sort of just the PS1 mystique as it will. Mm -hmm. You know, I the PlayStation 1, I think, for many people, myself included, is like the greatest system ever made. That or the two. I mean, I go back and forth each day on it, but I think it's hard to really go through life now and not realize how magical that period in time was for gaming you know, let alone just the sort of, you know, learning how to walk in 3D is a huge step in of itself. But I think just the sort of boundless possibilities that this console created for so many genres, not just platformers like we're talking about. I mean, platformers in themselves took a massive leap in this, like, like five year period like yeah we go from two dimensions and 16 bits now we're in three dimensions with hundreds of colors cd audio voice acting you know mm -hmm. so, suddenly we're now in a whole new ballpark and you know the, the playstation one kind of feels like this little gateway into something even bigger than it is uh you know i have my system here with me it's like you open the cd tray and you're like you're just staring at the CD laser and it's like <laughs> some, some, like something something magical is about to happen. I mean the the boot up sound. Obviously everyone everyone talks about the boot up sound like but I think the boot up sound kind of just 
reflects just the the whole period and you know spyro hits this period perfectly as sort of a representative if you will but i look at my games and it's like you think of like tomb raider introducing like an adventure game with 3 a 3d beautiful uh bombshell woman oh, absolutely or like medal of honor coming on the scene you have military shooters oh and- that's that was a ps1 game huh yeah and you have medal of honor you have uh i mean racing games even took big leaps like with the wipeout series you have uh survival horror essentially yeah. being birthed on this system with resident evil i mean <laughs> jrpgs coming to the the west in a major way with final fantasy vagrant story xeno gears you name it mm-hmm. like the sort of the ps1 was like sort of the fountain maybe not fountain of youth but fountain of infinite possibilities and i kind of want to hear your take on it you know on just this whole era like what what is the like what is the secret sauce so 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 it uh would be for the ps1 for you god um i remember at the time i mean my first gaming uh i i began with the super nintendo when Mm -hmm. i was pretty little so we began with nintendo went from that to n64 like we're my brother and i were super in like zelda and Uh uh-huh um i mean banjo kazooie everyone played that but i remember my friend's house and i was talking to jack about this called it you know my friend's house where all the all the naughty shit went down and we played <laughs> all the things and saw all the things we should have seen um den of, of iniquity <laughs> jack called it uh he had the playstation he had resident evil and it i mean that game itself scared the shit out of me but but also like the, just the scratchy texture that's yeah. kind of inherent to the playstation one um the wa- the warble yeah like, um something about that really attracted to me or it was attracted to me as, as just its own aesthetic and i mean i was little I, I wasn't considering like aesthetics or anything but it just seemed like this uh it, uh i don't know much more serious world or or just there's something much more inherently cool about it mm-hmm. um Whereas the N64 was smoother and family friendly and um, thing about like Banjo-Kazooie, I tried playing that again recently and I was just like nauseated by, by how like infantile it is and happy-go-lucky. Oh God. I, I used to love that, but I, I, I tried. Yeah. It, I think, just... I, I think you have to be in the right mood for that because if you're like at, at all bits pissed as an adult, you're just like, I want to oh, punch God. I want to punch this bear in the face. You just, sort of it's so punchable. Yeah. Everything that meh, 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 just constantly. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, the sort of a uh, adult tone and language of, of PlayStation one um, was what attracted it, it. I just, I was so into that. And I think uh, by the time I got it, the first game I had was metal gear solid. Um, and that just blew my mind. I, w- I would sit and like write fan fiction about salt snake mm-hmm. and, and and all that um yeah i don't i don't have to say i mean as i got older um you know i've just stuck with playstation but but i'd always return the ps1 and it just seemed more and more like this almost accidental artistic achievement like everything it put out was these like beautiful impressionist paintings 
you know, Spiral is such a good example of this where it seems so crude and rudimentary, but it's just, uh, it's, it's like effortless somehow. Like it's, I, I, I like how you brought up the sort of smoothness versus roughness qualities because the, you know, the N64 on paper was more powerful. And so like 3d looked better, but it's like, the edge quality of PlayStation, even even on something like family friendly, like Spyro, adds something more to it. It's you know, I David uh, uh, from Agitator. He, I always think about this quote he mentioned in his book. His a uh, you know the you pray for uh, it's the book title the so Death long. Stranding one. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I remember the quote he mentioned in it. It's like once you add to the artifice, it becomes less magical, and it's like the very crude 3d of playstation adds to it as something like you have to play like yeah you know it's you know back in that time it you know if you were to compare the big three at the time which was sega playstation and nintendo you know sega was just kind of floundering in its own sort of mistakes with the saturn and then n64 you know, Nintendo was not going to budge from their image. Like, even to today, you can't really budge Nintendo. Only, like, a few instances, like with Bayonetta, for example. But, sure. you know, PlayStation kind of fit perfectly in the middle, or maybe not middle, but it fit into that market that clearly was there and yearning for something exciting and edgy and boundary-pushing or just straight-up cool. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you come out the gate, uh, uh, maybe not in America, but at least in Europe, like PlayStation came out the gate with uh, Wipeout. And Wipeout is this sort of dark sci-fi sort of, you know, spaceship racing game that has like licensed tracks from the Chemical Brothers in it. Okay. And it, it's And it has this cyberpunk, this like unique cyberpunk aesthetic that they commissioned like this famous London graphics, like, uh graphic art school to do and you come out the bat with that as sort of your like one of your defining things you're ma- you're putting to the to the table and it's like you can't you, you you're you're already like five steps ahead of your competition like nintendo really could never capture this sort of mad magic that playstation one had in the day like you know obviously there's the you know the m-rated game side of things you know right coming out with resident evil in your first year <laughs> or even games like tekken uh you know i talked about last week you know mm-hmm. you it's a it's like a mixture of brand like they had really smart people with branding like just you know Jack mentions like the Chris Cunningham directed commercials, you know, yeah, yeah. speak, speaking of like wipeout, my favorite game ad ever for wipeout is two teenagers, like bloody in a car <laughs> seat. And it's like, this is what wipeout is going to give for you. It's like, Oh my God. Like I, it's so incredible. Like to, and to think too, this was Sony's first attempt at a console too. It's like, you know, all these games like Battle Arena Toshinden, I remember in a great or old school G4 video uh, where they were talking about it. They were saying like the guy who was in charge of Sony at the time is like, yeah, I wanted Battle Arena Toshinden because it looked cool and sexy at the time. Like, 
it had gorgeous 3D and beautiful landscapes. And, you know, I, he, you know, the sexy part of it with like the one female character, Sonia, <laughs> who they like tried to make as a, a brand mascot at the time. Like, Sonia's going to own you, gamer boy. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it's so, I mean, it's so effortlessly perfect in its execution. But like at that same time, you kind of feel like, with graphics this crude it's like well they almost feel like they lucked into it somehow absolutely um i i think about uh i'll think about this with like all the the remasters and just the whole like w- the neoliberal smoothening process that you know we've everyone's kind of hit on the head or just it's a dead horse at this point but um uh byung chul han byung chul hong however he'll say his name, that philosopher in his book, Saving Beauty, he talks about uh, with the smoothening process and he's using Jeff Koons sculptures as an example, those like um, uh, balloon animal sculptures, if you're familiar, and it's just mm-hmm. all just these smooth kind of infantile sculptures. But he his claim with that, with the smooth textures is that it it leads to this compulsion of like like a baby, you, you want to like touch and like, suck on it like a pacifier yeah. you know and, and there's something about like mario versus like spyro or crash or, or just nintendo versus playstation one like that's that smoothness is kind of it, the the child family friendliness of of nintendo is kind of like baked into the cake with that smooth textures um it, it's inherently infantile like it, it's all mm-hmm. just like you want to like stick these things in your mouth <laughs> like, like thumb sucking you know <laughs> Whereas, um, yeah, that graininess with with PlayStation One that is just kind of incidental and accidental due to the technology. Um, yeah, it, it's inherently um, it just more adult, and it, yeah. it's there's there's a sense of danger, you know, lurking into it. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah, I mean the the PS One really. If I were to, if I'm a lot, if, if I'll get a little technical, just because I, I'm autistic with this stuff, it's like, <laughs> uh, like the PS1 had no Z, which this is why, like, the games look jaggy and it looks like the textures are always constantly moving and yeah, yeah. Like, you can, like, see through. It's like when you turn, you can, like, see through, like, textures into, like, the infinite void for, like, a split <laughs> second. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, one reason why is the PlayStation has no, like, Z buffer, which means it can't determine how far away an object is like because the n64 the n64 can like it has this so that's why like the n64 looks perfect and clean and does you know interesting but like my point being is like the playstation one is so it's so like um it's like it's in a way it kind of is like a garage band aesthetic where it's like a bunch of like pissed off japanese businessmen are like we're gonna make a video game console uh where do we and then they're like where where the fuck did we start because i mean that's where playstation birth from is uh being burned by nintendo um uh the the super nintendo was supposed to have a cd add-on like the sega genesis did and nintendo was like yeah we'll get sony to do it and then they they panicked about like rights so they said actually we're not going to do that and oh my god it literally pissed off sony ceos and they're just like just okay we're go- japanese warfare <laughs> <laughs> and i i love that 
what what has now been a brand that has lasted i guess at this point like almost 30 years at this point like if we're talking japanese side but mm-hmm. you know the the playstation brand just feels so it's so even as like today as they try to kind of like clean it up and add like diversity into their game right but like there's always going to be like a game that comes out that just kind of is not aligned with the modern sensibility mm-hmm. like like in modern like recently i mean granted it it hits diversity checkpoints so hard it's like it could give the lecture on diversity which <laughs> is the last of us too um, oh yeah yeah but that, I love game, that game yeah that, that game is so inherently violent <laughs> and disgusting and gross and so evil to the like i kind of stand it like it's so it's and it's for one also it bucks the trend of like other games today where it's like it's it is linear as fuck it will not let you right it will not let you do anything you want you you stay on the fun the fun house ride of blood and guts and gore yeah the Uh, diversity stuff of that is like the only thing about it that's um just kind of odd i mean i mean it makes sense given the time but considering the game's violence and uh its other achievements like uh, my favorite game of all time is metal gear solid 2 um and, and partly, a, man after, a man after my own heart oh let's go <laughs> uh part i mean mainly because the the main character switch and that whole troll like th- there's yeah. something um i remember when that came out like that people being pissed and i, I thought it was brilliant uh you go from because, the hard and grin grizzly grizzled military guy to a twink to a twink yeah <laughs> uh but it there's such an understanding like hideo kojima with with metal gear 2 was um like he he clearly has an understanding of the medium and of gaming and of player player protagonist interaction or whatever whatever word you want to slap on like whatever yeah. and last was two is like they basically did the same trick um, in a much more visceral manner. Um, yeah, literally. Yeah. And it, I, I just thought that was so bold. I mean, I think uh, Neil Druckmann, Neil Cuckman, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he, he mentioned Metal Gear Solid 2 as, as I think Nymph. his favorite game. Yeah. Um, I remember that. Yeah. And it, it makes sense. But yeah, I, I was a huge defender of uh, Last of Us 2. Yeah. when that came out because I, I thought that was brilliant and really it's the only thing i mean gaming the past however long uh is just it's aside from from soft there, there's really not much interesting to it that's happening and it's all gone like fortnite overwatch you know <laughs> and for him to take this much hyped anticipated game uh, much in the way that metal gear Solid 2 was you know, like he was kind of leaning into that hype, yeah, and just fucking with the gamers and and almost in a way of like preserving the art of it. It's like because with gaming more than any other medium, there's a sense of entitlement because yeah. you're, you're 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 controlling it. You know, exactly. You can watch a movie and there's distance there between you and the main character. You know, yeah. Um, whereas with with gaming, you you are the main character and and. I mean, gamers, <laughs> they, they can be so awful with that. Like they, they just get so pissy and butthurt about any sort of creative decision. And so any, any 
genuine artistic minded person within gaming. I, I think they, it, it's fun seeing them kind of buck against that mm-hmm. and be like, no, this is, this is my work my of vision. art and yeah. I'm, I'm allowing you to, to <laughs> enter it. Yeah. Um, that That's such a great point. Like, and it's funny too, you mentioned entitled because I would agree in that sense that gamers are very entitled and it's unique unique to games as a medium because like Mm -hmm. you gaming is so i mean it's uh, it's the one medium that you need you as a player have to be in control otherwise the game won't progress you won't get to see what's happening other than the title screen Mm -hmm. i mean it's such uh in i guess you could say it's like an individual medium where it's like i have to do x y and z to get to the ending and get that sort of reward or I have to kill the bad guys to progress to the next area. And it's like, if, if a game presents itself as something other than what you think should happen, it's like the greatest injustice, which I remember, I remember seeing the last of us too. And just the vitriolic hate that was <laughs> going around on Twitter at the time. It granted at fucking the, tranny. And he fucking yeah. <laughs> Joel, fuck you. <laughs> oh my God. I remember how like the, the what's her name? Uh, the, the buff girl uh i'm oh, uh ellie's the the rig yeah okay ellie, ellie's the lesbian and then what's oh yeah name? she's a lesbian yeah, uh she, yeah what's she, the last of us two uh what's her name i'm blanking on it and i'm not even that drunk what is going on I'm with me look it up abby oh yeah yeah okay i remember how like the last of us two leaked early like a ton of it got leaked because it was like early covid and people were just fuck they were pissed off <laughs> right yeah and it's like <laughs> who is this tranny killing joel and it's like turned out no she's just a buff buff as fuck girl like mm-hmm. and everybody just wanted to like dig and rip apart at this game like because they just it was so shocking to see like such a i hadn't seen such like a a like targeted like campaign against the game probably since like mass effect 3 right yeah it, which kind of ties in because i remember like there was article saying mass effect 3's ending actually is good you entitled gamer <laughs> right but i think that's a little different but you know yeah yeah the, the yeah. point being is i think gaming as a whole is such a unique medium because it is so it's so dependent on the person experiencing the thing that mm-hmm. if like you can really just like you could piss them off in a way that like no like a like a, a movie director or a show writer probably could never experience <laughs> it's oh, like God. you hear all these like twitter threads it's like <laughs> i've seen recently a bunch of these companies are just like uh, we incur we encourage criticism and you know uh, working to improve our game, but we will not stand against death threats and you know <laughs> harassment campaigns against our developers. It's like seems like every other month there's like some sort of like harassment campaign, like proclamation from a game company. Absolutely, like, uh, that's stuff. That's the funniest thing about like the whole gaming scene is like the gamers are entitled nerds, and then like the developers are a bunch of pussies. And yeah. It's just this toxic uh yeah it i mean very few like you got kojima i mean Druckmann. he's 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 got his weird retard whatever but he's he's got an artistic vision yeah i think he has um i think he has a a sense of 
uh, the zeitgeist or whatever you want to call it and how to fuck with it and play yeah. into it. I, I think he he's as clearly brainwashed in the agenda, but I think he enjoys fuck, fucking with people, which is... yeah it's a refreshing thing because a lot of games are so designed to make people happy. Like, yes. And he puts out a game where the main character of the first game gets brutally beaten with a golf club. And it's like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I admire his balls in the sense of just doing that and him, yeah. and him kind of post the game coming out, kind of reveling in that, like, you know he kind of revels being like the internet's bad guy in a way because uh-huh. like then after the game came out oh he's now co-president of naughty dog and it's like right he, all the nightmare stories about like naughty dog is full of crunch that like makes people oh, go God. to the hospital which by the way i hate the term crunch because it's so gay. it's it's so the <laughs> it's the new dirtbag left sort of like term for gaming it's like these developers were in crunch they like cyberpunk like because cyberpunk has gotten like a big huge revival because of that anime that came out and people are like why are you supporting a game that was broken on launch and was the developers were forced to do crunch and it's like they were forced to do crunch (laughs) like for one if i were to be like well actually to be like to be that guy it's like crunch in for for them meant like working 50 hour 60 hour weeks instead of 40 like yeah dude it was it was overtime that they were willing to do and it's like like fuck off like well and if you look up any of the developers that are quote-unquote crunching like these are people who believe that they have like adult adhd and they're (laughs) using like adderall like they're they're such they're they're not they're they're kind of insane like they're insane and and they yeah they uh but uh, you can make up a mental illness and they'll have it the next day you know but like you know people people like rag on rockstar because rockstar had notorious crunch there was a famous crunch story during the red dead redemption one development the rockstar wives scandal where Mm. a bunch of wives of developers like we don't get to see our you know husbands like we only get to see them for like one day out of the week (laughs) and it's like you know to quote a same meme who made a great post it's like uh i'm paraphrasing it's like crunch stands for non-hr infected workspaces full of men who are obsessive and wanting to make something memorable and it's like you look at rockstar for example it's like look at the decade of 2000 like i know some people don't like grand theft auto per se but it's like you can't deny the sort of cultural powerhouse rockstar was in the 2000s like yeah the Grand Theft Auto trilogy, GTA 4, the Bully duology, Manhunt, you know, Matt, you know, they eventually took over Max Payne, but it's like you see their output and how much they dominated mm-hmm. culture and how much they were just they they remind me in a way of Valve was back in that decade. They both of them, their peaks were that decade. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, the, these I think this is something that people don't understand. It's like game developers are kind of like autistic people on like like at full power because they're they're crafting something from computer code it's like that takes some level of like being a special little guy sort of thing Uh i don't know like i remember you know this is kind of related to spyro but like the original crash bandicoot the the 
the co-founder of Naughty Dog was saying, it's like, yeah, we had to hack the PlayStation in order to it for it to give us extra memory or, you know, to make the game be what it is that we eventually got. Like, right. you're hearing this guy talk about all this technological, you know, mumbo jumbo. And it's like, only somebody like that could do that. And only someone creatively driven and, you know, passionate about, creating a memorable product could do that and it's like nowadays it's like games are made specifically or games are taking longer to make you know they're like four to five years long Mm -hmm. they're they're open world rpgs with quests that in many cases never end like i think fallout 4 (laughs) literally has a quest giver who literally (laughs) he never stopped she never stops giving you quests. It's like literally infinite. Like th- these games yeah. are meant they're, you know, the, the games are unique in the sense that they kind of draw you away from the woman's nest, sort of say. And like you, you get to do something cool that's by yourself and right. you're, you're doing something while doing nothing sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But like now games are so many of them are just like, here's this boring fetch quest that you have to go across this ginormous map that you can only walk, but we eventually give you a horse because the horse can go a little bit faster. You know, <laughs> right. It's, it's kind of just amazing how as technology has gotten better, the ideas have gotten smaller. It's become this hamster wheel. Yeah. Of side quests. And well, in like the two thousands, there's so much attention to the tech and, and a sense of innovation. Um, just just in the whole gaming scene in general where whereas now there's yeah there's all this like phony uh pro worker leftist rhetoric and and interest in in all that um but i mean i mean when the ps2 came out i remember the whole like fear that the ps2 was so advanced as a computer that uh Saddam Hussein. This yeah. Was, Saddam Hussein was using it as a tool of weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> yeah. So you got to unplug it when you're not playing it kind of shit. Um, <laughs> I love but, that. It's, but I mean, that, that speaks to like the perceived power of, of the tech itself and that it was, it was about the tech um, at the time. Yeah. Um, whereas now it's, it's, yeah, it, there's, it, there's no consideration towards that. And, and, and when there is, it's, um, like these remasters and there's sort of these uh feature show-offs you know showing off all the new features within whatever the new unreal engine engine. yeah Yeah. it it's you know it's like (laughs) if mentioning unreal engine like that's such like a double-edged sword for me because i can appreciate the unreal engine for the fact that it's can it can get it can get these large games out faster but it's like now everything looks the same like yeah you know I uh, let me double check real quick. Oh yeah, the Spyro Remastered trilogy was made in Unreal. Is that and Unreal? It, yeah, and it looks like every Unreal game that I've ever fucking seen. Like flat, cartoony aesthetic with like ba- you know dynamic lighting. Like you know the there's a whole like list of things that like once you see it, you see it. Like yeah, yeah. It's, there's only a few cases where developers have like taken that engine and created something unique. Uh, answer it's japanese developers um 
uh, like Tekken, you know, going off last week, Tekken seven is an unreal game and the new Tekken eight is an unreal engine, but you wouldn't know. Okay. Like, <laughs> cause these are like hyper realistic looking people fighting. Right. In, or like the final fantasy seven remake, uh, mm was done in unreal and it does not look like an unreal it looks like a square enix game like yeah but you know the point being is like you we live in a day and age where like games are so technically complex like they can have real-time lighting massive worlds you know you can see the you know you can see the details on characters skin and their anime you know aloy's hair yeah in the wind yeah literally and but then you go back to like a game like Spyro where it is a game engine made for that and it looks and feels and it looks and feels better than anything comes out and mm-hmm. it it just inspires you more like I, I we'll get into it in a few minutes but like Spyro in of itself feels like even for such a tiny game like it feels so massive in its sort of accomplishments and goals and sort of artistic ambitions compared to like compared to like i don't know like uh what's like a modern 3d platformer other than mario it's like you can't really name a whole lot they all look the same they all play the same right yeah like you know you know it's a it's it's kind of a sad state where like games are so homogenized into sort of a one big blob of everything but like you you do see the occasional like rule breaker like a Neil Druckmann with The Last of Us Two, or you mm-hmm. see like you know Capcom like in their sort of modern day with their new their Resident Evils, the Street Fighter Six or Devil May Cry Five. You know, you, the Japanese are our only hope. It's yeah, they, they've got it. Yeah, they they understand what a game <laughs> is still, even though like. Uh, the West seems to have embraced, I guess, this, the the one thing I think of is like iPhone mentality. Like it has to be like an iPhone game where yeah. like yeah. Ev- everybody has to play this game, but mm-hmm. like they really shouldn't or no, there should be games made for somebody, not everybody. Uh, well, in like Western media to any, any type of game, like any, any from soft game, they, they have to throw a fit over the easy mode thing and make oh, it yeah, more accessible. Yeah. I mean, that was the worst part too about that was the most offensive thing about last of us too, is the bragging about accessibility. And it's like, dude, no one's going to use this shit. Yeah, <laughs> you the, know, the modes that quite literally break the game. Like you could yeah. just, you can just play the game and beat it. Like with modes that like literally screen read to you where enemies are or like color coats them in giant red blobs <laughs> right like I, it, what's yeah the the type of person who is so debilitated that they need that isn't playing video games no and, and if they are they were already playing them like there's so many of those videos of like you know guys who are like fully cr- <laughs> like crippled and using like their elbows to play from soft yeah. games and they're beating yeah. them yeah yeah exactly yeah it's like i don't know who they're imagining they're just finally they're, a game for me they're just they're just imagining like like the google ad of like the blob people like that's who they think ga- are playing games that's like no it's just a bunch of like white guys like yeah yeah playing playing games and it's like get your head out of your ass and like make something that's inspired sort of thing like you just want to like 
go to these directors who are making games and it's just like wake the wake the fuck up and like make games for like clearly your audience because the girl with like the purple hair and like the ear piercings who's a little <laughs> bit overweight she's mm-hmm. you know she's not going to be she's she's been told to like your game but yeah. She really, she really probably doesn't care. She's gonna play her farming simulator or her Animal Crossing, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like you know, she can stay in Nintendo Land. You know, yeah, your, your your PlayStation. You should be like making stuff that is cool to anybody. <laughs> like, oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, even to like Nintendo's credit, like they're not they their games are just simple. I mean, it's for everybody, but uh, yeah. the accessibility thing that that yeah uh, play introduced is like that dude that's not it's not necessary at all i think about that that in that specific case like i don't know if you watch it but i do it because it's like my fun little i can i can get drunk and scream at the tv about <laughs> video games moment uh-huh. but the, the game awards oh yeah uh, which is like the oscars so to say of games and they literally like created a new award it's like achievement in in accessibility oh yeah and it's like well that that's oh, sort of that's, that's the epitome of patting yourself on the back for like doing no something what waste wasting money too they're wasting all this money oh, on, on these stuff it's like you could be doing this to make like an even better game but you just choose to no, like and well and the same people who like piss about crunch time and, and overworking people but adding all the whatever how much time went into like adding those unnecessary features and it, yeah <laughs> it, I, it doesn't I, make any sense i loathe to think of like i love i loathe to think of like if they were to make like a brand new like if they were to follow the footsteps of like crash bandicoot and do crash like they did a crash four and it's like spyro four and it's like here have this here's this accessibility option where you don't even have to double tap X to glide sort of thing. <laughs> it, it just auto glides for no. you. <laughs> it's like, I, you know, it's like I, before I, before uh, I, we, uh, we started talking tonight, I was watching this. It, it made uh, to go off the theme of me being pissed off at the re at the remaster. There was this video of, like teenagers or like early 20 somethings like they were given a copy of the original spyro and then they were given the remaster and it's like this one kid is like yeah i don't get but these older games they just don't hand they don't give you instructions about how to do anything and i'm oh just like God. i i want to you're thinking spyro is like the most complicated like game ever i'm gonna i want to you know redacted you like I, I don't get these people. It's it's like they have to have the shiny key to tell them what to do, sort of thing. I know it's like, oh boy. Um, but anyways, um, but yeah, like I guess to come all the way back to where we were started, it's like the PlayStation One is, I think, a box of infinite potential in sort of a rough package, like you know the the ps1 on the side is like this sort of like jagged like uh perforated side are you you cut out oh no we lost them no oh he's gone 
Let's see if I can fix this. This will be fun for the viewers at home. Uh, oh, are we back? I hope this is, I hope this still records. This will be funny. Work your magic. I mean, we're still recording, so I guess this is fine. This was going to happen to me at some point. You're back. You're back. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> God. I switched my phone's uh, hotspot because our Wi-Fi is going to fuck you right now. Okay. <laughs> you were just you're like, working. You were just, yeah, you're working now. I think, uh, I think I was still recording during that. So okay, that'll be good. a fun little moment to include in there. Oh god! Um, but you were just like frozen on my screen, just like smiling, just like <laughs> I, th I thought you were just like into. You I were was just, just so, so enamored by what you're saying. <laughs> but I, I, I guess, I guess to go back to what I was saying is, um, the PS One as a whole is like this, literally like this box of infinite potential, like wrapped in sort of a rough thing. Like I was mm -hmm. while you were frozen, I was like going over the jagged edges on the side, like yeah. I th I think that's the ultimate sort of takeaway from this box is that all these games are kind of this this for even as something as kitty as Spyro there there's mm -hmm. always this little bit of edge luring you back in like come yeah. play come play with us yeah yeah the edge and and the just texture I love that um it that's just I don't know. We were already set, but like just the whole smoothing of everything is just the bane of my existence. And even when it came down, like designing the magazine, I, Matteo, he asked me when we're trying to get photos together for a series, like what's what the theme is. And it's like, I don't, I don't really care about themes. I just care about texture. Like mm -hmm. as long as the thing has texture and a unified texture or whatever, like that's, uh, that's just so absent right now. And, and anyone's, creative process or just if anything they're like they're they're against that it's like the showing off your new the the new tech features of, of whatever new game it's like removing texture and and just smoothing out everything yeah um, and get this like common denominator of consumption and it's just so it's just so media like just awful but, i i really I can't agree with you more. I think this is a perfect time to segue into our game of tonight, Spyro the Dragon. <laughs> we'll cut there. Um, if you need a break, uh, I'm good. I got but... to piss real quick. All right. Sweet. I'm done.
one of those uh as soon as i stood up i was like oh shit i'm drunk <laughs> <laughs> well hey you're, we're 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 killing it tonight it's perfect <laughs> i'm I excited am. for the spiral talk i am uh, too it's it's normally i i didn't think when i was gonna start this show i would talk about like e-rated games so soon i figured i would like go through my edgy adult games but it's like <laughs> right i was just like it's i'm so glad that you kind of just came into the dms and be like i want to be on and it's like well how do you feel oh about God. spyro <laughs> i was so honored when you signed with spyro because he's arguably the most adorable uh at least playstation character um, yeah I, I always think of him, not Crash, even though that's like the other way around for most people. Crash is funny, especially with the remaster, um, because he has such a simple, like, polygonal body. He's got, like, the, the Johnny Bravo body, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and them trying to, like, bitch that up with, with new graphics. <laughs> There's not much you can do with that. Um, other it, than to like make him furry, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Make him furry and then also make him rounded. <laughs> yeah. To go off our talk last section, it's like, oh, they made him rounded. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like, well, okay. But, you know, Spyro. Which just... kind of, which like kind of works to the better. Like that he's so simple. The remaster doesn't ruin him, I don't think. Yeah. I think his, he's still intact, but it's just yeah. like you can see how they, they had to like i don't know kind of go over him with like you know sort of you know the photoshop like eraser tool it's like okay those those triangle shoulders let's smooth them out a bit (laughs) right yeah you know but like spyro this is one thing that remaster does with spyro it's like they still make him blocky looking like Mm -hmm. i i kind of i'm glad that they didn't smooth him out so to say but uh Tonight we are talking about Spyro the Dragon, uh, the first game in the long-running Spyro series, the first of the tr- PS1 trilogy made by Insomniac Games. Uh, it first came out September 9th, 1998, PlayStation 1 exclusive. Uh, you play as the titular Spyro the Dragon, trying to save the dragon world from Ganasty Ganork, as somebody, some people would say, uh, <laughs> but... There's a uh, nasty Nork is mm-hmm. this sort of orc looking character who freezes all the dragons and takes all of their treasures away. Uh, and Spyro has to save all the dragons. Uh, it's a very, very, very simple premise. I mean, it, it does not waste its time to get you into the thick of it. And it literally just plops you in the opening world and just tells you to figure, figure things out. Like, like that 15 second intro setup. The, what, which what I, is spirals he's like it looks like i got some stuff to do like yeah it's look it's so it's so charmingly simple that like but it completely works too and i i love that little opening cutscene where it frames itself as a documentary being filmed <laughs> like they're like filming a documentary about like beating him nasty nork but like nasty nork somehow can tell that they're making fun of him he's there's no like tv or anything he's just telepathically he just just hears some shit talking he just knows when people are talking shit about him (laughs) (laughs) like so the game you know spyro is a 3d platformer um it's it's in the same vein of like a mario 64 or like a 
Banjo-Kazooie, where it's a collect-a-thon, so to say, where you have to find all the dragons in a specific world, get all the gems, and that's basically it. Like, it, mm-hmm. it re- uh, it's very simple, even compared to its contemporaries, but I think that its simplicity actually adds to it, like... I remember my first my first history with this game actually stems all the way back and I only just remembered this today like specifically the demo disc but I remember first playing this on a demo disc that my brothers had left behind for some reason it was I think it was a PlayStation Underground demo disc that they had and this actually is where I first played Metal Gear Solid 1 as like a 5-year-old and not understanding anything <laughs> but Spyro the Dragon was on there and it had one of the levels It had one of the the town levels with the matador enemies with the bowl in that gorgeous like sunset gradient sky amongst oh. like a very sort of just uh, this this blocky town and you're just trying to sort of navigate it as you try to find the dragons find all the gems it's and I remember then eventually pretty sure getting it from my parents they gave it to me one day and i remember just going through it pretty hardcore as a kid like it it was one of the games outside of like twisted metal that i have memories with with a ps1 and i i even remember one of my brothers who was kind of a gamer so to say when he was younger i remember there was one of the the dragon egg thieves in the game where he's he runs up to like a higher ledge and i like as a dumbass like i was like how does he i can't get up there like (laughs) right (laughs) like and then like my brother had to help me because you know i was a a retarded child back in Mm -hmm. the day and you know i remember just going through this whole game as a kid and being kind of like awestruck by it's 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 surprisingly a small game like it's only a seven like you can beat this in like 10 hours like right but i always thought it was this ginormous adventure which is why i love it so much even today as i uh i tried to get through this game i tried to 100 percent it before we recorded but i i got to the last world in the game and i just couldn't i didn't have enough time but yeah yeah (laughs) but this game is so magically large for being so tiny which i guess kind of fits with spyro as a character like he's the one little runt dragon full of large (laughs) adult dragons and you know i remember his voice his like nasally like almost kind of like bart simpson-esque attitude yeah Yeah, he's Uh, a he's this troublemaker uh this little prankster guy and he's voiced by rocco from rocco's modern life uh yeah the um the guy who voiced uh, the Taco Bell dog. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, go on. No, no, it's um, I, I it's it's like thinking about talking about this episode was kind of hard because it's like this is a very simple game, but it's like replaying it last year when I got my physical copy of it, I was kind of awestruck by like just the artistic vision that was presented to not just me as a kid but obviously to you and so many others where it's like Mm -hmm. you're kind of just taken aback by this very impressionistic art style this kind of modernist with how blocky everything looks the Stuart Copeland or Stuart Copeland soundtrack just 
banging through this entire yeah, game. Yeah. Like I, I, I knew I had to talk about it. I'm glad that you agreed to it. So, um, Absolutely. My, my, my question is, is what is your history with this little purple dragon? Oh God. Uh, you know, I probably played that same demo disc. Cause I remember, I remember just playing the first few levels over and over and then it wasn't to, I mean, I was still young when I, and I don't know how I came to own it. Um, because I remember being like fully invested in like Metal Gear, Metal Gear 2, Resident Evil, but then and then getting into Spyro and, and mm-hmm. playing that to completion. It's a game I like I I don't have nostalgia for because it's always just kind of been there. Mm-hmm. Um I played it when I was young in college. It was like the fun thing to do, like to mm-hmm. get high and play Spyro <laughs> and like Jack and like it complete thons are, are perfect for uh just like taking an edible and just like uh collecting shit or collectathons <laughs> like, yeah yeah it's it it's such a vibe ass game like i i i think the simplicity is like its greatest strength because and this is something that reviewers kind of ragged on it back in the day they said it's a little too yeah. easy but it's like i don't the know magazine like i have they they kind of rag on that yeah, oh, um, that, you're, that amazing magazine with that that great ad <laughs> that you posted. Uh, oh, of uh, Tomb Raider. Oh yeah, the I love that Tomb Raider ad you showed me. Oh, um, the the Spyro ad with the it's like Spyro Mania, like taking over. Yeah, the, the heralded Inquisitor Spyro Mania sweeps sweeps country. Yeah, the UFO spotting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I, it it's man it's it's hard to talk about but like spyro's intrinsic simplicity makes it seem so much bigger and better as a result like like if we were to go off like the first level the artisan world i think is its proper mm-hmm. name uh which like is that the artisan hub world yeah the yeah, yeah. artisan home world and it's not it's you know the, the way the game is structured is that it's different home worlds with levels to do there's usually like there's three levels a flight level and a boss level yeah like in there's only six of them and the last one is a boss level like it's i wouldn't even consider it really like a full proper level it's just like a boss different types of boss levels kind of yeah it's like uh like the final bowser kind of level in different stages yeah but like yeah. the 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 artisan home world is i want to live in that like green like that grassy field with the hedge oh, maze God. and the there uh is it dark hollow it I, uh, I think the hedge maze goes to like the dark hollow where, where you can or, like light up the uh um yeah dark hollow yeah yeah i love that level i, I that, that that level stuck out to me in my recent playthrough it's like that it was literally just a picture of just a fire like in that level mm-hmm. and it just lights up like that little corner which was i believe kind of a unique thing that this game could do is that it had like a little bit of like unique lighting to it but mm-hmm. like it's it's combined with that polygon aesthetic that just amplifies that little that little moment that you could probably you literally could just skip like not even notice <laughs> but like mm-hmm. you know it's that that that's like a level that's has stuck out in my brain for decades like i remember mm-hmm. that level so clear as day even though it's really small like you 
you could beat that level if like you're really trying to speed through it in like probably yeah. 10 minutes 10 minutes but like the fact that it's stuck in both our brains for like so long i think speaks to just how strong this game is for its root i wouldn't say rudimentary maybe just like really just archaic attempt you know insomniac at the time had only made one other game prior to spyro like and i don't what i'm trying to remember what that game's name was it was i think i trying to be a first it was trying to be it was like a doom clone it's trying to yeah trying to copy doom but um yeah the point being is like for how simple of an idea and how simple everything looks because like these levels are very flat there's like little bits of elevated terrain or buildings that you just glide to and from Mm -hmm. you have these cartoonish enemies that are uh it's either you you breathe fire on them or you charge them like it's there's nothing (laughs) it's not like you know a mechanically complex game but it's I, I like on my recent playthrough and I I believe you were playing through it recently too it's like it's so effortless in how like you can just you progress so far yet or e- even like progressing like a little bit feels like you've completed like chapters in a, like a fantasy story yeah yeah uh well I mean it's like the two moves is like you hold square you go fast circle breathe fire and and these levels like just hold like going fast is like part of the the whole fun of like controlling this little character and and his mo i mean his motives aren't like he's he's juvenile in the sense where he he's not quite this total like moral character um he just wants to blow shit up he's this little arsonist bart simpson troublemaker and and, yeah he he just wants to beat up nasty nork like yeah even from the get-go that's like all he cares about yeah, like his passions just kind of happen to align with doing good and like saving his fellow elder dragons. And mm-hmm. the design of these, uh, each level is just, um, it's conducive to that feeling of just going around uh, murdering orcs, norks, whatever, <laughs> just going fast and setting things on fire. And, and I mean, the dark, I mean, the simple thing of like setting those logs on fire in that dark hollow level um i i don't know what it is about that that one specifically was where replaying it this go round that i fell back in love with it again mm-hmm. as as of i mean the music on that one too that the copeland scores like that level's exceptionally well done yeah i mean i think it i know just tons of people can highly praise the copeland soundtrack because it is that good you know Stuart copeland being the drummer Mm -hmm. of the police but like uh, he his score just kind of elevates the game even farther than i I mean if they were to have given this sort of like the average like fantasy score it probably would have been okay like i would have been like yeah that's kind of cool (laughs) but they they get this like drummer of a famous band and he like creates this unique score that's full of guitars and like like little triangles and like creepy like like spooky eerie sound like (laughs) like way like he he's able to just like elevate each level in of itself like i you know 
like the dark hollow obviously stands out like the town square level mm-hmm. i think of like you know i think of the peacekeeper home world in that desert with all the that like bombastic like fight yeah like, the the militaristic uh it, it, it reminds me the way people like joke about like tarzan and phil collins and like phil collins just going ham on the tarzan soundtrack for this kid's movie mm-hmm. um there's that feeling like Copeland was totally invested in, in Spyro and, yeah. and you can tell that he just loved this game and this world. And he's just, he's just going ham, you know? Yeah. And I, I believe he, there's a, there's a PlayStation underground interview he did about it. And he's, he, he sounds so giddy talking about it. Like he, <laughs> on one hand, he's just like, I think he may, maybe he didn't, fully understand like what this was entirely but i think he i think he got the vibe of it which i think was the important thing like he understood because yeah. that's how they told him it's like hey hey play this level and we'll give you some cheat codes and you play through the game and compose your songs like he he's able to match every single level of this game and match it like match the sort of tone with the visuals mm-hmm. perfectly and I think of like there's the misty bog level or the treetops <laughs> level like you know I each each levels because each level has its own song I believe it's like yeah you have this really and this is benefit just because the PlayStation 1 is a CD based system and everything mm-hmm. I think you know for lack of a better way to say it, it's like he is Copeland really is such like a pillar of this game it's like copeland this modernist cube like simple like impressionist art style and then just you you put a little spunky dragon in there and it's like kind of it's like movie magic so to say (laughs) right yeah yeah um i don't i I feel it's copeland i think his son or like his son works for insomniac games i want to say now like they're they're kind of a. <laughs> he's he's a big spiral guy. Yeah, I um, I I wouldn't blame him. It's like, hey, my dad got to make music for this cool game I played as a kid. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When like, I first shared the the spiral picture, when you mentioned this, I I didn't even know about like who Copeland was, and I, I remember the music and I remember being really good, but uh, I didn't know he was like the the drummer for the police, police and and all that. Like, um, yeah, and. It, it's rare because like this period in games is like as i said like the advent of cds as your medium to play games like it opened up such a large possibility for audio like uh, even though like for example final fantasy 7 didn't use like cd quality audio it's like mm-hmm. The I think of this generation and Spyro being one of them. It's like I think of the audio, the music that comes from all these games of this period. It's like it it, it enhances the sort of mood. Like when I was on TPN with uh, Jack on Silent Hill, it's like you think of the Akira Yamaoka score mm-hmm. and how that score is so unique and different from what like a scary, spooky horror game should be. It's like this weird, you know, alternative rock with like, you know, like uh, some like Indian guitars in it and right, like using dentist drills as like instruments. It's, Ugh. it's, it's really, 
this whole period of games with audio, I think really, I think everybody can agree, or at least most people maybe subconsciously agree. It's like the, the music in these games stand out so strongly because now we're on the level of CDs, which is like the best audio format or whatever. It's like, you know, games come in CD cases. It's like the sort of, (laughs) there's like a sort of a, connection between the two mediums that goes hand in hand and spyro is like a such a perfect example of this copeland and you know i think the soundtrack plays into the playful cheery childhood but it 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 amplifies like the dark and spooky parts or Mm -hmm. the you know the 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 atmospheric parts of these levels like um I'm blank because I've had a little little to drink but like there's one level (laughs) there's one level early on in the game that like has it's like this weird sort of choir almost like bell sound I don't know how to describe it but I've heard it before it was in Majora's Mask Um, Mm. Majora's Mask uses it and I don't it's that sort of the use of it in these like levels i think really just amplifies the experience so much you know uh i <laughs> it's just like i i just this this is a game that just makes me feel good when i talk about it yeah. it's like uh, you know you, you go sorry yeah no i mean like part of the uh i mean this game was essentially like th- th- did crash precede this yes crash yeah. came out the first crash game came out in 96 i believe okay i mean like either way this was part of uh sony's um they're trying to get into like the e for everyone market that like nintendo monopolize yeah and and part of it was like almost commissioning insomniac to create a, a kids game mm-hmm. and and they're i mean they're working with like bare bones it, it's a simple game with with simple mechanics you get a 15 minute or 15 second cut scene that introduces the story Mm -hmm. um which which like i mean the story itself is like it's like uh listening to a kid like a five-year-old explain his dream to you you know oh yeah yeah totally (laughs) it's so simple and so they they rely on the like environmental storytelling like you, you just kind of like bask in these worlds to and the world explains itself to you as you're playing through it that like you know from soft does that now with like dark souls and bloodborne where the world is is the story and mm-hmm. spyro does that with its level design and it, and the music and it just kind of informs you as you go that okay now you're in um you're in this world and here's what's going on and then you go to the desert world and it's it's militaristic and mm-hmm. um yeah like e- each level has its own theme and they do even with very uh, like the dragons kind of even though the dragons that you save in the, these games are very simple like they're just dragons thank they're, you for releasing me yeah like but they you can tell by their voices and how they like their designs if they're big and bulky or slender and thin or just yeah kind of the in-between like it's it's great visual storytelling that never that never like beats you over the head with it which is i think uh something that the uh remaster trilogy does not understand like um and the sequels i mean there's almost no cutscenes in the first one yeah and the sequels they start adding cutscenes and stuff um where yeah the the 
the first one is like the personality of the dragons that you, you know, they're the little five second snippets where they, they're telling you <laughs> whatever obvious mm-hmm. hint, you know, yeah, kind of clues you into a, a sense of progress or a sense of like where you're at mm-hmm. in Spyro's uh, journey or whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the sequels because I have played the sequels, but they never stood out in my head personally as much as the original game. And I like I was looking bef- in lead up to this episode, I was like looking at like spiral cutscene, like ending cutscene uh, or yeah. like spiral cutscenes. Like the first game is like five minutes long in total of yeah. like cutscene, and like the Ripto's Rage and Year of the Dragon are like double that at least they are um i and they add all those characters they add all those characters and like the first game in in prep for this i played all three and i completed the first two Mm -hmm. and i mean the first one's the best the second one i I was so frustrated just off the bat (laughs) the third one gets better because i think they they kind of learn where they they all their missteps from the second one and like kind of get back to the basics with the third one it's like the the first one you're um freeing all these frozen elder dragons and in the third one year of the dragon you're uh saving all the dragon eggs so it's like saving baby dragons Mm -hmm. Um, but they add all these characters and all these cutscenes. and the, the other thing they do too is they spyro's in the first game is very simple he's he's um it's like calvin and hobbs he's like you know calvin those decals that rednecks put on put on the trucks like <laughs> calvin like pissing on things like, <laughs> like that's spyro he, he's just this troublemaker you, you understand him immediately and as you get older too he becomes more endearing as this like catcher in the rye figure of this uh young little troublemaker who doesn't fully understand his own motives mm-hmm. but as an adult like you you play him you're like oh he's just he's just kind of recklessly doing good or like figuring mm-hmm. himself out. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it, and it's all you need too. It's like, you don't need with a game oh like Spyro. it's with the game, like Spyro, all you need is like his, his like elder figures get trapped. Well, now he's a brash little hothead and he's going to try to save them. Like that's all you need for a game like this, but like the sequels introduce like the weird, cast yeah. of characters that you work with yeah, it goes full-blown spiral square pants with <laughs> they they get the the spongebob voice actor who yeah. takes over the taco bell dog guy yeah it's and it doesn't work uh, like no it, he he becomes earnest and well-meaning in this very uh just lame way um the, uh, he, he just loses his charm in, in this like the second one i was i was I actually completed it, but I was so pissed off the whole time. <laughs> and I mean, it's still fun. It's still like more or less the same mechanics, but they have all these new characters who, and then they introduce like a more um, like nasty Nork as the main villain. In the first game, you you see him at the beginning, then you see him at the end. Yeah. And you're dealing with his minions in, in the interim. Mm-hmm. And the second game, they introduced Ripto and i don't even understand what he's pissed off about but he keeps popping in just being a little shit and every time it'd show him i was like dude what the fuck's up what's, what's this guy's deal <laughs> he's yeah, just being literally. an asshole yeah like like i i don't mind like a story like 
in a game like i get it but like when you have such something that doesn't need it like Mm-mm. the spyro works because it is spyro the game works because it's so it keeps the absolute necessities to get you going which is going to a new world seeing the new dragons getting to see spyro interact with these dragons like because every time you save a a dragon spyro usually fires off like some sort of like you know kind of a one-liner he's just like he's such a little shit (laughs) yeah like it's so like he's like the elder dragon will be like as you know spyro i i couldn't have kids myself and so you're kind of like a kid to me and he's like uh sorry buddy gotta go he's like hey, you're a loser i'm getting <laughs> like, out of here Spyro, you're a fucking asshole <laughs> yeah, he, he's such a little shit but like i i do and i do he's not like a little shit in the sense that he gets annoying too like the, the game keeps no, his... it's very endearing and um it's it's darn near cute like it's you very know, cute like and no like he it never overstays its welcome it it acts like as a little reward it's like the it's like you save a dragon you get to hear like spyro just kind of being a little doofus and then you get to go travel this world and i i think about like games of that ilk like you know around that time period you know as we mentioned, Crash, you know, there's Ape Escape, Crash, Rayman, Croc, uh, or Klonoa. Mm-hmm. Like these games, I think, balance the sort of like story, the, you know, the quote story part and the gameplay part into making something that's magical to explore. But then like the other games, the the other games make me think of uh, Gex. Uh <laughs> Like get that little that motherfucker is annoying, but like it's with all of his like adult humor with like these like seventies and eighties references. It's like, but uh, it's it's a talking lizard. It's like I've, I've uh, my brain just like you know becomes like you know a, a heart monitor just like going you know comatose. But like, well, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm gritting my teeth here. I can't I'd- take. I don't know that game's there's something sinister about that game it's uh <laughs> it's like this is this shouldn't be a kid's game it, uh, it it totally has a weird little edge to it and I would love to like cover it one day because it, yeah it, it, it's always struck me as like a weird as fuck game that exists in like this sort of like uh it's it, it it gets lumped into this world of Spyro and Crash and Klonoa and Croc these games that are very of the same cut, you know, cut of the same fabric sort of game. Mm-hmm. But then you have Gex, you know, bar- <laughs> barging, barging in tuba noise and company. And it's like, you know, what if I, what if you heard about Lionel Richie? Hey, hey, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like what is going on here? Kids don't know who Lionel Richie is. <laughs> like kids don't know who like, you know, Rodney Dangerfield is like, no, he, he's thrown out these like, uh, like obscure like family guy references oh my god that's you such know? A- <laughs> that's like what the fuck is he talking about <laughs> it's oh my god like and i think that the sequels kind of a sequels in a spyro like they kind yeah. of they they it's like they saw that like during the development it's like oh spyro's kind of like a fu- you know a little hothead like what if mm-hmm. we like expanded upon this and make you know it's like there's there's a fine line 
if you cross this line into annoyance, then it's like, like you said, it starts to piss you yeah. off. Yeah. Like it, you know, Spyro is so elegant in its simplicity that if you start to add layers to it, it becomes annoying. Yeah. Well, the, the thing with um, the sequels too, is like, I, I heard that uh, they took, there was criticism that Spyro in the first game was too cocky and abrasive in a way that, people took issue with and so they adjusted in the second and third game by getting the spongebob guy in there yeah to give it like a monotone ass performance and it's the same it's the same thing like what we're talking about with like metal gear 2 and last of us 2 the the sort of entitlement with the main character that he's the main character can't be something uh, there's no distance between the gamer the player and protagonist like you you have to identify with with mm-hmm. or, or that gamers feel entitled to um the main character or whatever or the art artistic decisions within the game like they they, they can't see spyro as something outside of themselves mm-hmm. and so they're like no i need a spyro that's nice like me and da 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 he cares about these random nobodies that he's never met it's like no it's, his whole charm is being a little asshole who is kind of um wrestling with his juvenile little uh arsonist troublemaking <laughs> bart simpson instincts but but it, but it to his core he's still ultimately good and yeah, wants he, to impress his elder dragon you know who are just trying to guide him like there, there's yeah. there's something so endearing and um coming of age about that yeah i think i think like the the main image that sort of reinforces this idea is when you 100% Spyro like when you get all the gems you can free all the dragons and all mm-hmm. that you get that and that different ending where he's being interviewed by the same documentary crew and he's wearing those sunglasses, those sunglasses. <laughs> and like you know and even even in like the beginning of the game he headbutts a sheep in in like the background of the documentary yeah it's like yeah you know I think he you know he, he even through this journey of like going across these vast and abstract worlds of floating platforms and buildings he still like embraces the, the fact that he is like his cockiness and his like uh his just like willing to just dive in head first you know to into problems yeah. is what is what gets him to defeat you know the big dumb retarded green orc like <laughs> like you know i think that that's the charm of it um yeah like, like retarded uh like the the enemy characters and, and oh maybe as like a, a contrast to the, the remaster it's like these oh. are like full-blown retard googly-eyed <laughs> creatures i in my i don't have many notes but uh the um the dream weavers level uh yeah. right where you're like up in the clouds mm-hmm I mean that level like generally kind of terrified me this this go around because oh, yeah. it's like the the characters are these like touched by god retards <laughs> in like in like this lovecraftian way like they they've like <laughs> they're just googly and no matter where you are on, on the hub world like they're just looking at you and, yeah and... like the the wizard the wizard character I think or, or no not the wit oh not the that's a different level dream the dreamweavers world the floating platform world but it's like yeah those big orange guys who are like literally making yodel Google sounds or whatever. <laughs> and like, yeah, yeah. like, and they're all like, and then they get shrunk down to like their little midget yeah, cells. So like the rainbow 
transformation like and then you have like the clock the little enemies that like turn into a clock that like Uh times platforms it's like yeah i love how playful it is with its ideas like you know Mm -hmm. the the dreamweavers world is stunning like i'm looking at like the like a the camera pulled away angle of it and it's like Mm. it's really it's really just like four main islands that are floating yeah in the sky that is just like this rainbow gradient and it's like you can fall to your death very very easily and that's terrifying yeah. like I, and it's inhabited by these like <laughs> monstrosities <It's> yeah like... <laughs> the way like uh stephen king depicts depicts retards is like having a a, a channel to god you know like they're they're just like in touch with like the spiritual realm I was, I was just thinking about that with the dream river world. Cause the people there, I mean, what the preceding hub world is like beast makers, right? Yes, I think so. Yeah. And yeah, I was thinking about makers. this, like it, it reminded me of bloodborne too. the way like bloodborne, the way the game progresses, you go from like Victorian horror of like beasts and like monsters and like werewolves and shit. And then as the game progresses, it gets more Lovecraftian and like these interweaving realities or, or, um the, kind of like the the higher you ascend to certain um mm-hmm. knowledge or insight the more you see these like more googly-eyed monstrosities that there's a little bit of like progression there within the first spiral where you go from you go from like the norks to the beast to the googly wizard things mm-hmm. <laughs> who who uh there, I don't. There's like they have this like terrifying Lovecraftian. Uh, there's I don't know the terror to them. Um, it's I, I it, totally yeah. Uh, it it gets like dreamier. I, you had a tweet too about like the the um, the Dreamweaver world compared to the remaster and like it's this this the original is this beautiful dreamscape. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the remaster just misses the point by adding definition and. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot, like definition being at odds with like dream, the dreamscape. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean the, the world's name is Dream Weavers. It's like asking, yeah. it's asking you to envision something ma- no way to describe it. In my, for me, it's like magical. Like yeah. this floating castle in the sky with like a second building and all it, that's all that's there. Like there's yeah. no, there's nothing else, but like in the remaster it's like they add intricate detail to the castle and there's they put clouds right underneath it (laughs) like i i think that that misses the point of this world and i guess i guess this is a great way to uh shit talk the remaster because um this remaster really does irritate me on so many levels like yeah and and what's so strike it's so shocking too is a lot of people are just like oh this looks so much better this is exactly how it's so true to the original this is how i remembered it it's like are you are you sure um (laughs) i'm sure you imagined a dragon with hipster tattoos gauges a nose ring and and drinks coffee i'm sure that's what you imagined like like oh my god the 
the the remaster is just like an example of not getting the point of spyro which is like simplicity is the greatest artistic tool i guess yes. or whatever yeah the but- the man bun sexuality of the new dragons <laughs> in the remasters it's it's so gross <laughs> it, it you know it I, you know it just because a bunch of people who follow me were replying because i posted that dragon in specific yeah and a bunch of them just were saying this is what happens when you let a furry draw your characters and i'm just like <laughs> yeah dude <laughs> like it, it, and this is like so they the remaster came out in 2018 and they remastered dude, the, the, re- the remaster is downtown missoula and uh austin texas it, yeah it, uh, it it's it came out in 2018 and they you know they kept the core of the game which essentially is the gameplay intact with some minor tweaks but the visuals got dramatically changed to this very like play-doh like dreamworks ass yeah, as you as, as you said price yeah as, yeah as you tweeted in reply oh fisher, my god fisher ass fisher toy the game is just one giant pacifier for you to just sit and suck on like a baby. Yeah, it, <laughs> like, like they 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 cha- they add the dragons. They give them like outfits to wear. Like you know they they theme them to the world. I'm like, why is a dragon wearing like human clothing stuff? Why is a dragon like doing all of this? That shouldn't. Be- <laughs> Like what is going on here? You're like trying to make these dragons look like humans. It's like this is a world sort of outside of reality, sort of I feel thing. Like one of the dragons just has like a Ruth Bader Ginsburg sticker. <laughs> <laughs> like he, yeah, like he, I bet one of these. If it was made today, they like one of the dragons would have like on their like coffee cup. It'd be like <laughs> you know they would have a BLM sticker on it. They'd, yeah. They'd, <laughs> They would be like, you know, every sort of libtard, you know, initiative. Uh, it's it, it has that that coffee shop vibe for sure. Uh, I think uh, I think the greatest thing that you could say about the remasters is that it's a game. It's a game made by like like millennial like adult child millennials trying to appeal to <laughs> adult child millennials who remember the yeah. original, like. I can't really see like my 10 year old nephew. Like I, I could see him playing it obviously and maybe enjoying it, but I don't think he's the target audience. I think that this remaster was designed for like your, you know, people our age who played the game as a kid. And like, it's like, Oh, this game is so in with the today crowd. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's like, fuck off. No, like, the original Spyro was meant looked the way it did. It played the way it did, so that it could appeal to everybody. I mean, fuck, it says E for everyone, not for you know M for millennials or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It, it's the the remaster is just so it wants to add. It, it's like it has to explain why something looked like it did back in the day. Like I posted. A few hours ago, there was the pic. There was a screenshot from the one of the flying levels, yeah. and in, in the original, it's like these glowing crystal triangle rocks in a cave, and they're you know yeah. blue and glowing. But in the remaster, they add like a lamp to it to a- explain why it's glowing. It's oh like, god, dude! It's like you know, <sighs> it's like uh, it, it's just like 
I, I, I can't understand like what goes through your head and you have to explain something like that. No, the, the, the charm of the first game in the original one is, is that it feels like a kid explaining his dream to you. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it just barely makes sense, but it sounds wonderful. Yeah. Had, on the second, like the second time playthrough, I didn't catch that in that intro um, setup cutscene where they do the whole documentary thing. They they say something like the Norks or the monsters were crafted out of gems. Yeah, yeah they're, and, the ge they're gems turned to monsters. Yeah, and because they when look you kill like the monsters. They they turn, but that doesn't make any sense. But it but it has this sort of like Alice in Wonderland um, logic to it, where it's like yeah that in in the dreamscape in the dream world of a kid that mm -hmm. makes total sense and yeah. you're just you're sitting there listening to it and just nod your head like that's that's wonderful yeah and then uh, with this new trend with um in the remaster and just in everything right now where you have to explain everything mm -hmm. you you see this with all the marvel nerds with like the, the marvel cinematic universe where they have to have everything explained they need they have to have everything cohesive and if uh if dr strange 2 contradicts <laughs> something that happened in iron man uh 12 years prior they have to make up for that and explain that disconnect it's like no um this is a, a work of art of of fantasy and magic and you just throw in these these color and signifiers and just go with it you know yeah. it, it's uh, yeah. To uh, to quote J. David Osborne, uh, who replied to that tweet, you know, where you said Fisher toy ass game, <laughs> he said he said the impressionistic inventive architecture of signifiers versus the smooth derivative basic bitch cartoon. Yes. Like, oh my god. Like signifiers is is the key thing there too. It's um it. The if you're gonna do a kid's game, it's gotta be like from a perspective of a kid. It's gotta have that like Alice, Alice in Wonderland, as told by Alice, you know. Yeah. And I think the problem with a lot of like shit now is like it's kids' games for adults who don't want to grow up. Yeah. And it's that's just the whole feel. Like whenever, whenever I I look at the Spiral Remaster, or any of this this new shit i just i imagine this 35 year old man in a diaper sucking his thumb <laughs> and it just makes me sick <laughs> yeah, i i think that and i think like some hip and trendy girl who got into coding and she's like i'm just <laughs> you know what if we just made everything a cartoon yeah. it's like uh bitch no yeah yeah like, I was thinking about that um, with the sense of humor with Spyro, because especially the sequels, the second and third, like there is a sort of like boys go through this really corny phase about like in middle school where their sense of humor is just just awful and like really, <laughs> really cheese dick and like it's just so corny. Yeah. And I was like, what? Why boys? Why not girls? Like, oh, girls go through that when they turn thirty, and then they just stay <laughs> in that, you know, <laughs> and they become video game developers and ruin everything. <laughs> and, uh, as I'm just laying this out here, one of the key artists of the remasters was a woman. Exactly. So the, it's <laughs> the, the third place is about expelling my misogyny. Yeah. Uh, so here's uh, uh, this episode's misogyny hour. Exactly. Um, but it's like Democrat Democrat women <laughs> turn 30 and they develop the sense of humor of a 10 year old boy and just stick that way for the rest like, of their like, lives. 
like you know like the, the fuck the, the remaster like you know there's one of the um there's one of the dragons you save in the beast makers is it the beast makers world i think it is i think I'm trying to look up these images because I, I want to have my ref. Uh, it's the misty, yeah. misty bog level, uh, uh, and there's like what the dragon you save right before the return to home world uh, platform, mm-hmm. and like in the original, mm. he's like explaining like you know Spyro, if you you know you can grow up to be big and strong like me, and or you know. You get to ram things with you know your head and be like me. And he says, "Look, That's right. yeah. you know, Spyro's just like, well, how about I just breathe fire and ram them with my head? You know, stuff yeah, I yeah. can do." And then it just cuts random to the dragon, kind of looking blankly at him. But in like the remaster at that end, the dragon gives like a cheeky thumbs up, like oh, you know, it's, it's like shut up. It's like yeah, yeah, it's like, like oh, God, get, dude. get 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 out of here with this it's like don't Ugh. don't make it quirky don't make it like knowing that that scene like that scene just works by itself it doesn't yeah. need to have yeah. like the dragon wink to the camera wink to the 30 year old saying like uh, isn't this so the stupid winking to the camera thing right you know while <laughs> while we're on this uh female video game developer kick like the, the <laughs> new the new like she hulk I, I haven't watched it but there's a whole like meta thing where she like is constantly looking at the camera and winking which i think was like picked up from that show flea bag mm-hmm. um there's something to that where uh you got to be in on it or like or like the, the entertainment that you're participating in is like on your side yeah it 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 knows it's, how smart it is like in the, the writers know that they, like they think that they're smarter than the characters they're writing and they want to like project through the character like see isn't this sh- isn't this so quirky and so yes quirky ran- and relatable and and random and funny and and it's like you're in on it uh they're i don't know <laughs> it's i mean it's just like you know back you know back in the when games were made for guys and boys, like there was, you know, no mm. sort of pandering to that games have to be for everybody sort of thing. You know, games could just sort of be more than just like a game. Like, you know, obviously there could be a game that is like mechanically complex and that is its main thing, but like games could be more than themselves and they didn't have to like do this sort of third wall element to themselves like they have to acknowledge the player how like ridiculous this situation is or acknowledge how like goofy this conversation is with the character like it just was like a a, a, an adventure just yeah you know spyro is an adventure it's not like this cartoon i mean sure it has cartoon aesthetics but like Mm -hmm. spyro is not meant to like be viewed as like a saturday morning cartoon like acknowledging how like silly it is it's it's a literal adventure through abstract worlds and abstract places with you know fighting enemies like the wizard character in like the third world that is like 
like floating eye googly eye eyeballs with like <laughs> stringy hair and like yeah and a green and that was another change that pissed me off it's like you know that you know the one who like can morph the world to like raise a platform and everything yeah yeah those, and, and, those wizard in the re, in the remaster they give him sandals they give him like oh weird like old man sandals and like Ugh. this character this character like if insomniac was viewing this character kind of silly they already did it with like the wacky design that they did they didn't have to throw in yeah a, they didn't have to throw in a stupid retarded joke so like <laughs> like i, it, I hate this oh, remake this, this remake pisses me off so much it's like it's awful and the, it, i mean because that's the first game it's whole it's whole sense of itself is uh the world you're in like it, it doesn't support it the story through cutscenes or, or through any sort of um narrative guidance it's just the ambiance and it just the the feel of it and the, the remaster that's exact the only thing that remaster is the look and feel of it and and that's the one thing you can't fuck up you know because mm. people think like oh it's a it's a play-by-play uh reenact it's it's so truthful to the first one because the layout is the same mm-hmm. um same controls whatever everything all the eggs and gems are in the same spot but it's like but that's not that's not the point the point is the look and feel of it and yeah, the, the, the journey amazing. Yeah, yeah like and that's the, the main thing they fuck up. Yeah, like it's it's not the gameplay and everything you remember is there. You know, they do it because it's like, well, if we change it, people are going to be mad at us, sort of thing. But like, people will just like accept a graphic change because if it just kind of looks the same. But it's like, you know, Ugh. this 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 is the why. This is the this is oh my god, I'm retarded. Uh, this is why. <laughs> this is why backwards compatibility is so crucial in this day and age where it's like you need to be able to play these games as they were meant to be played otherwise you're gonna get a remaster that like treats it treats it like its audience like a bunch of like you know neanderthals or mongoloids like (laughs) like you know like you you that's you know that's why i'm glad that you know I've I have a PS3 and I have a PS1 and I have a PS2. Yeah, yeah. Like I can play I can play this Spyro with this CD in it. I can play it on any one of those consoles. But get, you know these newer systems you can't. You have to play the remaster. It's like this like scrub oh, this God. like it's like the rewriting of this game. Like a game that on paper is so innocent. Like the mm-hmm. fact that like they had to quote unquote modernize it or whatever like scream like think think of example if you will like there's rumor there's a pretty solid rumor silent hill 2 is being remade think of what they're think of what they're going to change in that game a game that a game which centers around the idea that you killed your wife because she annoyed the hell out of you like (laughs) like think think of what they're going to do to that game and make no shit uh you killed your wife and you want to fuck the nurses yeah and also women are really annoying and you want to kill them (laughs) yeah like think of what like think of like let's say hypothetically like just in a what if scenario like all the playstation one two and threes just vanished overnight guess what you're stuck with these remakes that like did just kind of erase history even and you know i know that they're not like meant to be malicious but it's like you know 
understand <sighs> like our, our even a game like spiral has artistic intentions and wants and needs it's not trying you know it was made by artists, but designers, coders, what composers, you know, yeah. that, ha that had a vision for it and to add tweaks and changes to it negates that product. And yeah. I, I can't say enough. Just, it's just, I, I fucking hate the remaster. Even it's though, awful. Ugh. Like, I mean, okay. Sorry, go on. No, 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 you go. Sorry. I was just thinking like in terms of like people like like Neon Genesis, they had their main series and then they wanted to like make a movie version of it. And you can like, who's that? Hide Hideaki Anno. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he's someone who just remaking and remastering to anyone who's has any sort of artistic ambition or, want, or wants to actually say anything or or in any way like update something in a meaningful way um like he took the movie versions of the games and then just spun off into a wholly different thing that mm -hmm. was meaningful and meaningful in the way that it interplayed with the old ones you know and it wasn't uh he wasn't trying to correct what he was saying in the old ones or anything he was just kind of going on a, a different tangent in a way that was that um creates this whole new separate meaning but also reevaluates the meaning and it's mm -hmm. not like i haven't played the new final fantasy 7 remake but mm -hmm. it sounds like they've they've kind of introduced an element with um the the certain uh what do you want like the, those uh smoky yeah ghost the, the spirits of yeah the spirits of the planet uh and this is you know the the discussion of remake versus remaster in games is such a murky and confusing ground because it doesn't make sense a lot of the time and what one company's definition of a remake is different from like another's but i think final fantasy 7 remake is a great example of a remake because it takes a lot of the original staff of 7's first version are like the head people of the of the remake like mm. The character designer of Seven PS One version is the director of Seven Remake. The direct yeah. the director of Seven is the producer on the remake. Like, and a lot of the developers of the remake were kids who played the original. Like, yeah, uh, and they do a very interesting and creative way to re-examine the original in a new meaningful way but also not at the same time saying that the original didn't happen like they weave they literally like weave in the fact that the original game happened into the storyline where it's like this is an alternate timeline where the characters understand like oh hey we're on a predestined path to repeat this cycle over and over again and yeah. it's like them breaking free of the original game. Like yeah. the remake, the this remake trilogy, because it's still in process, the next entry in this remake trilogy comes out next year. It's like it's like a, a part of final, the original game. And they will they won't they won't like sort of downgrade the original seven because it's old. Like, you yeah. know, I think I think the conversation with games and remakes and remasters has to get a little bit more serious because people view there's like changes that can be made that 
drastically change. They could really drastically change your experience. Like mm-hmm. I've been playing recently the Shadow of the Colossus remake, which was, you know, the original was a PS2 game. Yeah. And and that game keeps all the gameplay and it basically its biz- biggest change is the graphics, but the graphics still look pretty much in the same vein as the original. Mm-hmm. And it, all it does is it basically just puts the old game in a new coat of paint in a playable like state because the original ps2 version was a really unstable game pushing the ps2 <laughs> to its absolute extremes right yeah yeah but like this remake is a great example of like you visually overhaul it but you still stay true to these original this original game they even let you select the old control scheme as an option like they mm-hmm. don't they don't stick you to a modern control sure. like you know they they let you i think it's even they have like three control options in this remake but the point being is like you look at the spyro situation and spyro is the remake remaster i don't even know they give it a retarded name the reignited reignited yeah like they're like like the 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 way the way that this remake remaster trilogy whatever the hell you want to call it like yeah it's clear that it was just made to sort of cash off nostalgia in a very maybe not intentionally cynical way but like in a way that's like it's like uh it's just like uh, you know again like adult millennials like getting in charge of a game that you know they were kids and it's like yeah well it, it and it's not for the adult millennials it's not when they say remake or remaster, they, they really mean correct. Like they're correcting yeah. the old one. And you see that with, especially in the second and third game where they, um, the funniest thing about the one thing I did like about the sequels is that they had like all these different uh, caricature stereotype ethnicities. You oh, know? Yeah. Bombo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, and, the middle Eastern who likes to bomb shit. Yeah. And they, uh, they, they, they change his name to like, bob the something it's like bob or some shit and uh in anticipation for this i i listened to um i was just seeing if anyone like talked on any other podcast about spyro and i found one where there's these two girls and it was just like the the first like five percent of the the podcast or the episode was like them talking about how cute spyro is and the rest of it was them bitching about like how put like uh offensive the stereotypes are of the sequel <laughs> of, games and of course they did it, because... like it we like which is expected but also it's it's just still i mean this is a fucking kids game From and, and i think and these are girls who played the the remaster so the remaster that on um, took effort to correct those stereotypes and it's... they i think they even like they removed some guns too and like replaced it with yeah. like paint shooter kind of shit yeah all that does it just makes it just signals to certain people who have that that corrective instinct to bitch about it you know yeah in the same (laughs) way like yeah uh (laughs) that's like the the most with the remaster like there's the graphic updates and and the the way they add high definition to um ruin the whole like dreamscape of the original the the correction side of it too where they through the correction kind of apologize for things they don't need to apologize for 
and mm-hmm. just introduce this whole sensitivity towards uh, how Ever. certain people are represented. I mean, because what was I remember at the time I played the when I was little, I played the first Spyro and I didn't care for the sequels, but I, I still like the marketing for yeah. the sequels because the, the whole I think as much as Spyro went to the side of like square pants kind of bullshit <laughs> the marketers still understood that the whole appeal of spyro was the arsonist troublemaking mm-hmm. side because all the magazine ads were like it was that sort of like spyro was here yeah style, like the scorch like, the scorch marks yeah like, yeah yeah they understood like, that being a little bad boy was the whole fun of spyro yeah and that is what sort of been polished out with the remaster as well almost completely where it's like no we gotta we gotta do away with all the quote-unquote problematic shit that was never even a problem Hard, uh, not even on the radar of it, like a problem <laughs> it, it's it's that sort of old school fun orientalism um especially like with the year of the dragon the third one i mean that's like a, a chinese mm-hmm. year kind of thing yeah and and this is a western game yeah so they're they're having fun with this sort of like um it's a small world style mm-hmm. of world culture that yeah. they're playing with um in this very confused multicultural way where like what's one one of the levels is like the, there's ninjas but it's in this like chinese <laughs> architecture yeah, it's, it's like, like that it's that nineties multi multiculturalism where it's just like, everything is cool and we want to shove it in because we think it's cool. <laughs> yeah. But there's it's, no, it's not and it's like, also like funny and it's like rush hour, you know, like rush yeah. hour two, Chris mm-hmm. Tucker, Jackie Chan, they're, they're kind of taking the piss out of it, but it, but all, it's just fun, fun for kids, making them laugh. Let's do this impersonation of foreign people. Yeah. It, it's, it's not, you know, it's not even malicious or, hmm. or I mean, granted, I, I don't, I hate saying that word, but it's just like, if you know, you know, it's not like these developers were like setting out to be like, okay, we're going to give all the Asian characters <laughs> slant eyes. and we're Because we hate them. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, it's just like, they, they want to have like a China level. They want to have ninjas in their game. They want to have like Arabs in their game, like on an Aladdin carpet, like, yeah. Cause they just think that looks cool. But like in the eyes of like, two women on a podcast talking about it and all they can see is they they, it's like the it's like a their software patch is like seeing all the error all the errors in the coding screen it's like this doesn't conform to this this is you know like yeah yeah it's very it's this whole idea that like the modern stuff has to abide to an the everyone perspective when games at their core and no matter how much they try games are still the guy's medium like you can't really convince you know you can't like like i couldn't convince my sisters to play games because they think they're stupid like you know they will never understand the sort of medium unlike you know you or i would you know i think you know yeah, you know, I think just I don't know. It's just like even if <laughs> if a, if a game as innocent and as just beautiful as Spyro can get this correctional treatment, imagine what they're going to do to other games like 
that are from this time and period, which are way more, you know, pushing boundaries. I mean, you know, imagine, imagine if they were to say like, oh yeah, we're going to remake Grand Theft Auto 3. Like we're going to do a full, you know, like ground up remake of it. Okay. What are they going to remove? That's offensive. What are they going to change? Cause it does, <laughs> you know, I think, yeah, I just, you know, <laughs> I, I, I hope that uh people just wake wake up to the fact of reality oh but well, it, it's hard to shake people from their dreams so to say or well, they're... it's like what what do they imagine like the uh the culturally accurate version looks like like the 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 middle eastern level of spiral like okay let's be like culturally accurate like what 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 do they think that would look like like it's I... playful and fun yeah um it's like okay but their their values don't mesh with your your western liberal values like you you know you know you know what it makes me think of and because you mentioned it at the very start uh overwatch overwatch has a map in the game set in africa but like this map in africa is like a future city that's immaculate and (laughs) clean oh dude it's wakanda yeah it's it's overwatch wakanda and it's like you think you think Africa is going to be that technologically advanced in 2070? Dude, the when... funniest, um, the funniest Overwatch scan. I what was it was like female Twitch streamers or gamers. There's some scandal, uh, with that, and then like Blizzard reacted by just making the soldier oh, yeah. oh, character yeah, yeah. gay. <laughs> I think it was because. It was when the Hong Kong protests were happening. Oh. And one of the characters in the game is Chinese. And people were using that character in the protests as like sort of like a like as a figurehead in protests or whatever. Like some of like national society. Yeah, like or no, not even that. Like the Hong Kong people were like using her as like sort of we're taking her and she's gonna represent us as like a good character. Okay. And so and so Blizzard in the midst of, and then also I think uh at the same time Blizzard what banned uh, a Hong Kong streamer because he voice support or voice support for hong kong whatever so okay. in the midst in the midst of this blizzard announced like the gruff soldier character in the game is actually gay <laughs> uh, and and they've done this so many times they turned the mascot character they made her a lesbian uh during another controversy uh like there, there's a literally a meme format it's like if blizzard gets any controversy they drop a new character lore that like hit like checks a diversity checkbox or they announce a new character like it's like shine like dangling a new shiny key like oh my god it's like, it's like look at this thing don't look at the, the the controversy that we're we're causing it's like oh my god like that's so funny it you know but like the sandpapering of just like this medium <laughs> has become so fucking retarded that like man uh, the gamer can no longer sit his ass down and uh, oh and listen. No, this the the gamer has to get up and take action, sort of thing. Which is you I know hope what, what this show is doing. <laughs> absolutely, it's funny with like Overwatch because that was a whole like diversity, fucking hero, international, yeah, whatever. Yeah, which is just it's just introducing conflict versus like you already have like Team Fortress, Fortress two, two, which you is- just you just put people in like certain outfits you got two colors to go at it yeah and they're and they're just like basic like you have like 
you have a spyro character in the scout or the big brute heavy or the german <laughs> like a medic yeah. german like yeah that's all you need you they know? have zero scandals uh yeah, overwatch and- the do-gooders are uh they have to change the sexuality of their characters every other week just to uh yeah just to like make people distracted and be like <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's such a fucked up state of things it's like and i say this is i say as someone who put like 300 hours into overwatch which is like one of my worst sin i think i've Dude, committed um my word yeah i i played a lot of overwatch and then my my lingering sin from that is that I, I still watch like the Monday uh like Twitch recap things at, yeah. like it's sort of a, a hate watch whatever. <laughs> I almost a point of fact I don't watch much Twitch stream stuff, but uh it's just I I don't know I, I feel a sense of horror watching like the state of gaming through the channel of of, of Twitch uh these streamers and these gamers i mean these guys they're, they're such boogers they're, they're just <laughs> such weirdos and it's just sad to see um growing up and like with these magazines and that like gaming was this sort of like uh boy thing that uh, acknowledged boys um or, or just the gamers um, crave for violence and sex, you know, mm-hmm. uh, through Tomb Raider and whatever. Um, and now it's turned into this sort of like parasocial streamer thing mm-hmm. where they they just uh, fake laugh and pander for uh, $5 comments or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's really w- creepy and weird and, and inhuman and depressing yeah and, and they're just they're just so boogery they're just so just uh yeah no i i feel you 100 in this it's 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 uh i guess it's just sad you know but i hope you know my main goal with the show is to just sort of reintroduce these games from our past and in many ways like bring back the sort of talks you would have with you know your buddies about why like and it could just go into any sort of tangent about whatever it wanted and it didn't have to be about a game per se it could be about broader games or something but to just bring gaming back to its roots so to say and you know i i don't think i'm going to change things per se but i hope that like through this project that i'm able to sort of get people to talk about games how they used to and not like i, I believe in it i believe in the project <laughs> there 10 years ago tw- like 12 whatever uh there was the rise of like the youtube angry like angry joe the angry video uh, game nerd the angry video game like they were angry because they were pissed off at um media gaming journalism and its lies and mm-hmm. the misrepresentation of the gaming community i think right now the state we're at now like that you are at the vanguard of of something here that's more just even just addressing the the artistry of the medium um yeah that i don't know i, I believe this. <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> thank you so much um yeah but i think uh i think in to summarize tonight's episode i think 
I think Spyro is sort of like a shining beacon of like what a vision can do, even for something as small as a platformer. You know, a, a platformer doesn't have to be everything so that everyone can play. A platformer can still be, you know, simple and c concise and still deliver on such a strong artistic medium you know, I think you can still experience the dream, you know, like you were saying, the kids, the kids recounting of a dream experience through it. And I think, you know, I can't recommend Spyro enough to anybody. You know, this first game, I think, is a masterpiece in many ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I really can't say enough about Spyro. Just everyone has to play Spyro. That's spot on. It's a, it's yeah. a very pure game. Yeah, and it, oh, you go, you go. Sorry. No, that's it. I mean, uh, when you when you assign this, <laughs> uh, I my my first. I mean, I I love it, but my first I was like, what what am I gonna say? It's just so it's a simple kids game, but uh, mm -hmm. it replaying it. It's like no, this this is pure. It's a it's a pure game, and it's pure gaming, mm -hmm. and it's um, it it's something that's just so. Yeah, uh, missing right now. Yeah, you know? it's just it's pure entertainment that really just sort of in back many to ways, the basics, it, dude. It's Jenny it, from the block. It's <laughs> fucking. <laughs> it, it just it, it really just like I I mean it's like it warms my heart to play it. Like it's such a game that makes me happy. Like, dude, as you, soon as I finish it, I just want to I want to play it again, and then I did, you know. <laughs> But yeah, no, uh, I want to thank you, Ryan, for coming on. It's been oh, an ab absolute joy. Thank you, man. Yeah. This is fun. And I think that's where we will pause the recording.